Uh, for those of you whom I haven't met, uh, my name is Mike, and I'm one of the members of the advisory team uh, uh, here at Valley Church. It's good to be here tonight, and uh, my number got called, so I'm up to bat, and uh, I just, uh, I'm excited about this text because I've read it longer than you've read it because I'm older than you, um, and you know, every time you, you dive into the scripture, you learn something new. And uh, I certainly did as I prepped for this, and I trust you will tonight as we spend the next several minutes together. Uh, just, from a, just from a background, for those of you here last week, you know, Ken uh, spoke last week, and he, he took us through many, many verses. But if you recall, the passage that he took us through was challenging the authority of the, the Pharisees, the priests, the elders, and basically telling them the kingdom of God does not belong just to you anymore. Uh, it, it's going to be open to everybody. And he took us through where Jesus posed a question about the baptism of John, took us through the parable of the two sons, parable of the tenets, the parable of the wedding feast. Needless to say, by the time Jesus finished with that dialogue, uh, the, the religious leaders were incensed. They were not happy campers because he called them out. Their hatred for Jesus and his message of the kingdom of God being open to everyone were really at a fever pitch, and they actively were plotting to do away with him. And so that brings, uh, and culturally, I just, I guess what I want to say is culturally, and Ken touched on this last week, but I just want to remind everybody, this is what was going on culturally at the time of the, the passage that we're going to read tonight. There were competing political parties. There were polarized viewpoints. Uh, there was extensive and celebrated immorality. And if you don't believe me, read about the Roman Empire. Um, there was growing persecution of Jesus and his followers. There were coordinated attempts to silence truth and any dissenting viewpoints. There was corruption in the government, and there was increasingly burdensome taxation. Hmm. Hmm. That's all I'm going to say. Some of that might ring true today. Um, in, in some ways, we get kind of amped up about things, and yet it's not really anything new. This has been going on a long time. It was certainly going on in Jesus' time. So that brings us to the uh, key passage of Scripture tonight. And as I read this, I just want you to stand with me as we just honor the Lord as we stand and read His Word. Then the Pharisees went and plotted how to entangle him in his words. And they sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians, saying, Teacher, we know that you are true and teach the way of God truthfully, and you do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances. Tell us, then, what you think. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus, aware of their malice, said, why put me to the test, you hypocrites? <laughs> how, to, how to make friends and influence people. Show me the coin for the tax. And they brought him a denarius. And Jesus said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? 
They said, Caesar's. Then he said to them, Therefore render to Caesar the thing that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And when they heard it, they marveled, and they left him and went away. Let's pray together. Father, whenever we open up your word, oftentimes we're distracted just by life circumstances. But God, I ask for clarity tonight as we, as we dive into this passage. I ask for uh, a yielded heart to the truth of your word. God, I'd ask that you'd probe each one of us to see if there's, if there's something that needs to be adjusted. If, if one thing is said here tonight and we just go, Lord, I haven't been obedient in that particular area, would you just would you gently correct us as you do by means of the Word of God and the Spirit of God? Thank you for doing that. Thank you for meeting us where we're at. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So I want to start by asking, and I want honesty here, all right? I want to show hands. How many of you have ever entered an online contest? Come on, be honest. How many of you have ever won an online contest? What'd you win? A necklace? Christian? You won your name? No, I'm just kidding. I mean, you got to put your name on something. I don't usually enter online contests, but I did about a year and a half ago, and I won. It was a national contest. Put it up there. I subscribe, I, I ride motorcycles. It's called an adventure motorcycle. And there's this online publication blog called ADV Pulse, Adventure Pulse. And again, I, I, they send it to me via email like a couple times a month, and so I always read it, and it's about stuff related to adventure motorcycle riding. And the contest is said, hey, enter our sweepstakes. And, and all we need is, do you ride? If so, what do you ride? And the third, send us your email address. And I'm going, well, they've already got my email address because they're sending me this thing every couple. So I'm thinking, okay, I ride a 2013 BMW GS1200 adventure. Um, and off I sent it. Well, to make a long story a bit shorter, about a month and a half later, I get notified by the executive director of Adventure Pulse, Mike. You're our national sweepstakes winner. And uh, I'm like, really? I mean, I've never won anything. And it included, you know, clothes and new tires and lights and luggage and training uh, at an off-road training camp in either California or Colorado. Anyway, the, the prizes, they they added up to about $5,000 worth of value. I'm like, I mean, that's it. They started sending me stuff, helmets and socks and boots. And I mean, it was the coolest thing in the world. And I went to the training the uh, summer before last. And it was just, I mean, it was awesome. Uh, but being a good, good citizen and come tax time, I wanted to render unto Caesar what is Caesar's. And I thought, well, I, gotta, I know I got to pay taxes on this the value of my sweepstakes winning. And however, at tax time, I still hadn't received any forms from this, from this outfit. 
And so, like a dummy, I mean dutifully, I uh, contacted these folks and I said, um, are you, are you going to send me a, a tax form? Because I think I have to claim this. And, the, and I, I honestly, if I had to guess, I don't think they had planned to. I don't think they had planned to report to the government, but because I'm calling them, um, you know, they said, oh, yeah, oh, yeah, 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 we're just going to get that out to you. And, and I might stop here and, and let you know that I always, for the last 20 years, have done my own taxes and use one of these online tax prep software and stuff. And th this is probably, and a week later, I received this form called a 1099 NEC, non-employee compensation. I mean, I thought they were going to send me a 1099 miscellaneous or something, but it's 1099 NEC. I'd never seen one of those before. I'd never received one. And I'm like, okay. And it had $5,000 on there. And I probably should ask Julia, our resident CPA, to stop recording right about now uh, because I don't want to get reported to the IRS and I don't want to get audited next year. And I don't know if there's... Prof okay, all right. I didn't know if we have like, like client privileges or something here in church. But anyway, don't report me. If I get audited, I'm going to come for you. Um, anyway, so when I entered it into my tax prep software... It, it assumed that I had a business. And so I had to begin answering, and, and it, it didn't even give me any option. It says, oh, you got a 1099 NEC, you must have a business. And so it started asking me all these questions uh, about what's your business name? What's your business address? And business name, um, Mike's Sweepstakes Winnings. Um, and uh, types of services provided. <sighs> Uh, Mike's sweepstakes winning, you know, accounting methods, gross receipts of sales, gross profit, expenses, self-employment taxes. And I'm like, all because I called this guy and said, send me a form because I want to claim it on my taxes. Anyway, it's an interesting story just to start out with. But at the end of the day, I felt at least confident that I was trying my best to render unto Caesar what is Caesar's? This story that we're looking at tonight that we just read is really, uh, it, it's, it's paralleled almost exactly in Luke 20 and Mark 12. And as I, as I studied this passage, because I always, I mean, I'd read this before. You've probably read it before. I thought, okay, this is, this is about taxes. That's what this story is about. And so that's when I started coming up with, well, do I have a clever tax story, which is why I just told you what I told you. Um, but as I studied it more and more, I realized this probably <laughs> has less to do with taxes than, might, than you might originally think. Remember, this was a trick question. They were trying to entangle Jesus. It's, it really wasn't about whether we should pay taxes or submit to the government. Because there's multiple places in the scripture that kind of already discuss this. And I guess at a high level, what I wanted to do tonight was to, was to talk about kind of that high level overview of taxes and government and kind of what God's word says about that. And then let's move on to what I think are a couple more subtle points that Jesus is bringing out in this passage. Fascinating verse in uh, Jeremiah 27 Fascinating verse. It says, but if, first of all, the, the context here is Nebuchadnezzar and, uh, and the nation of Babylon had basically come in and taken all of Israel captive. 
So they were now subject to this, not a God-fearing king. They were subject to this immoral, pagan, uh, pagan government. And this is what Jeremiah says. He says, but if any nation or kingdom will not serve this Nebuchadnezzar king of Babylon, Babylon and put its neck under the yoke of the king of Babylon, I will punish that nation with the sword, with famine and with pestilence, declares the Lord, until I have consumed it by his hand. So do not listen to your prophets, your diviners, your dreamers, your fortune tellers, and your sorcerers who are saying to you, you shall not serve the king of Babylon, for it is a lie that they are prophesying to you with the result that you will be removed far from your land and will drive you out and you will perish. But any nation that will bring its neck under the yoke of the king of Babylon and serve him, I will leave on its own land to work it and dwell there, declares the Lord. That's pretty, that's pretty amazing. God's prophet Jeremiah is saying, you've got to serve this pagan government. You, you've, got to, you've got to obey this pagan government. And I'm like, wow, that's pretty incredible. In Matthew chapter 17, it says, when they came to Capernaum, the collectors of the two drachma tax went up to Peter and said, does your teacher not pay the tax? Subtle little point here. This was the temple tax, not the Roman tax. There was multiple taxes back then. He said, yes. And when he came into the house, Jesus spoke to him first saying, what do you think, Simon? <laughs> I love that. What do you think, Simon? Uh, from whom do kings of the earth take toll or tax, from their sons or from others? And when he said from others, Jesus said to him, then the sons are free. However, not to give offense to them, go to the sea and cast a hook and take the first fish that comes up. And when you open its mouth, you will find a shekel. Take that and give it to them for me and for yourself. I mean, that's why I fish, Leanne, is because I'm always trying to find a way to pay our taxes. Um, haven't really figured that out yet, but um, it's amazing. Here's Jesus saying, okay, we want to pay the tax. We don't want to offend anybody, so here's the way we're going to get that done. A couple more verses. Romans 13 says, let every person be subject to the governing authorities, for there's no authority except from God, and those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed, and those who resist will incur judgment. For because of this, you also pay taxes for the authorities or ministers of God attending to this very thing. Pay to all what is owed to them, taxes to whom taxes are owed, revenue to whom revenue is owed, respect to whom respect is owed, honor to whom honor is owed. And then in 1 Peter chapter 2, thank you, Julia, uh, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to emperors as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you will put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Fear God, honor the emperor. Folks, let's be clear. It, it's clear in Scripture what our, we have a duty to pay taxes. We have a duty to our government. And, and again, even though that was the trick question of the day toward Jesus, I think there's more here that uh, I want to focus on today, but I didn't want to just leave that because it's pretty noteworthy that, yeah, we've got a duty to, to honor the government. So if this passage isn't specifically about taxes or how we're supposed to respond to government authorities over us, what is it about? I think, as always, Jesus is trying to 
kind of broaden our view of reality, of spiritual things, because we get kind of focused on the temporal here and now, and I think Jesus is always looking for an opportunity to say, but there's more going on here. And I want to remind us of a couple of things. So if we look back at the first half of that passage, then the Pharisees went and plotted how to entangle him. And they sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians saying, Teacher, we know that you're true and teach the way of God truthfully and do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances. Tell us then what you think. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? <laughs> you know, I am reminded the, the Pharisees just got baked by Jesus in the, in the previous verse. It just baked, and it wasn't the first time. I mean, they, they'd taken him on several times, several times, several times. And I guess I was just reminded of a quote that is attributed to Albert Einstein, who said, the difference between stupidity and genius is that genius has its limits. These guys just, poo, poo, they just weren't getting it. I mean, it was bouncing off of them that you're not going to go toe-to-toe with Jesus and, and win. You're just, it's just not going to happen. So the Pharisees were a religious party. The Herodians, by and large, though they had a religious base to them, they were a political party. And these two parties were customarily, they fought, they were enemies. They fought with one another. But on this particular occasion, they cooperated to entangle Christ. That's, that's kind of noteworthy. And what's interesting, too, the Pharisees didn't go themselves. They sent their disciples because they wanted to make it a little bit more subversive. But there was, there, there was this plotting going on. And they asked the question, is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? It's a binary question, yes or no, Jesus. And it was designed to only allow one of two answers, either of which would condemn Jesus, and they knew this. Jesus' dilemma with the question was simple. If he said that taxes should be paid, he could be accused of denying the sovereignty of God over Israel making him unpopular and an enemy of the Jewish people. All right, success. And if he said that taxes should not be paid, he made himself certainly an enemy of Rome, and they'd report him immediately, say, here's somebody who's advocating not to pay taxes, Rome, and they'd get, they'd get the Roman government involved. And I, I read somewhere, this is, this is a lot like, you know, since we're in kind of a political season, if you haven't noticed, uh, the question was much like asking a politician um, a senator, yeah, just a yes or no answer. Uh, do you still beat your wife? Either answer. If he says, well, no, then he used to. If he says yes, then they're both indicting. I mean, that, and that was the essence of the question. Enemies plotting together against Jesus, trying to entangle him, falsely flattering him, trick questions. This brings me to kind of my first of two principles I want to focus on tonight that are kind of, I think, beneath the surface that at least spoke to me. First principle is we shouldn't be surprised by opposition to God's truth in his work. We should not be surprised by that. Psalm 2.2 says, the kings of earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed. Psalm 37, the wicked plots against the righteous and gnashes his teeth at them. John 15, if the world hates you, you know that it has hated me before it hated you. And if you were of the world, you would love 
uh, the world would love you as its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. And then 2 Timothy in chapter 3 says, Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evil people and impostors will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. Folks, we should not be surprised when there's opposition to God's work or to us proclaiming the truth of God. And I don't know about you, but that was, even though I know it, I forget about it because I have a tendency, I don't watch a lot of news, but I read a lot of news. It's just kind of what I do. I consume a lot of news from right, left, center, everything, and I find myself getting amped up all the time, like, ah, things are so bad, things are so polarized, and I get pretty amped up about things. Quietly so, other than to Leanne, sometimes she calls me out on it. Uh, when she knows I'm really kind of getting amped up. But, but when that happens, it's just like, it's not a good thing because I'm kind of focusing on all that's going wrong. And so whenever I, whenever I do come, kind of discover these principles or want to reinforce them, then I always ask the question, so what? Why is this important? Here's, here's four things that I think are noteworthy. If we're not prepared for opposition, we will be distracted and discouraged when it happens. I don't, I don't know about you, that's me. If we don't recognize our enemy, Satan's, tactics, there's a greater chance of becoming a casualty in the spiritual war. We have to understand this has been going on from the dawn of time. If we get caught up in fighting the wrong enemy, we'll be less effective in representing God. And finally, in the midst of the moral decay that I see going on around me, how best can I represent Christ? Those are, the, those are the proper responses, not to just get amped up about what's going on around us. Here was Jesus' response to uh, their question. But Jesus, aware of their malice, said, why put me to the test, you hypocrites? He called them out again. Show me the coin for the tax. And they brought him a denarius, and Jesus said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? They said, Caesar's. Then he said to them, Therefore render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. And when they heard it, they marveled, and they left him and went their way. Again, I'm just kind of amazed that he just, Jesus calls him out again. He doesn't mince words. You're hypocrites. I know what you're up to. I know there's malice in your heart. Jesus responds by doing what Jesus always did in this kind of situation. He forced those around him to look at things from a heavily, heavenly perspective and not just a worldly one. As Christians, we are citizens of heaven, but we are also citizens of this world. So here's the second and final principle. And when I say final, don't think you're about, I'm about done because I still have another... 45, no, I'm just kidding. Uh, I still have a little ways to go. But the second principle is we have, we have dual citizenship. And I think it's really important for us to always remember that. We're citizens of our country, but more importantly, we are citizens of heaven. When he said, therefore, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar, Jesus affirmed that the government does make legitimate requests of us. 
We're responsible to God in all things, but we must be obedient to government in national and civil matters. More importantly, when he said, and to God, the things that are God's. We can't miss this here, the fact that he added that in. And I think this has to do with what our ultimate focus and priority should be. Don't be swept up in political anger if a particular candidate or ballot measure or an idea doesn't go your particular way. The things that are God, give to God. Keep your focus right. I don't think this verse means that we should blindly go along with unjust laws, uh, nor, does it, nor am I advocating that we avoid political involvement completely. I think nations benefit greatly when children of God, redeemed ones, Jesus followers, get involved uh, in debates about government policy and the political process. So I'm not saying don't do that. But I think that's an individual thing, by the way. I don't think I'm, I should be able to tell you this is how much you should or shouldn't be involved. I think it's very individual. If you have any problems with that, um, see Pastor Michael, um, and he can straighten you out on all of that. Um, don't ask me those questions. You know, Jesus could have certainly got involved in debates about the politics of the day. He could have. And all of his all of his followers, and some of, the, some of his followers wanted him to engage in the politics. Jesus didn't do that. And even the apostles, when we read the writings of the apostles, they didn't get involved in all the politics. They were continually pointing us to God. I, I have a, a, a five-minute video that kind of does a pretty good job of, of synthesizing a lot of what I just said that I think is good, it's, it's great to watch. If you haven't heard of the Bible Project, you should look it up online, www.bibleproject.org. It's got a lot of great resources on there. But this little uh, Bible Project called The Way of Exile really ties this together really, really well. So take a look. I love that. It, it kind of ties it together, and I think... When I look at this passage in Matthew 22, I think there's a, there's a greater message that's going on than just, yeah, pay your taxes and let's move on. And I think that, that video captures it well. Again, I ask the question, so what? We are, in fact, living in the way of exile today. And we have this constant tension with our with our dual citizenship. How do, we, how do we live peaceably in this world and have an influence in this world for Christ and yet making sure that our primary focus and allegiance is to God? I love it when Jesus took the coin and he asked the question, whose likeness and inscription is this? And just as the coins bear the image of Caesar, and should be given to Caesar, so, so persons created in the image of God who've given themselves to the Lord should give themselves wholly to God. And according to scriptures, believers, we bear the image of God. Genesis 1, so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them male and female. He created them. 2 Corinthians 3, and we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord are being transformed into the same image 
from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. And then Ephesians 4, and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. We bear the image of God, and we ought to live in a manner that's worthy of that. And I guess as, as, we, as we close tonight and we think about leaving this place, you know, there's one verse that just really, really resonates with me. Uh, it's Isaiah 26 and verse 8. It says, Yes, Lord, walking in the ways of your laws, we wait for you. Your name and renown are the desires of our heart. Let's pray. Father, we confess that we need your help to do this dual citizenship thing right. God, you know how amped up I can get about things of this world and the political process and the moral decay and the, the increasing darkness. And God, I know you don't want us to be insensitive to those things. But you also want us just to be aware of the fact that they are real. They have been real from the beginning of time. Uh, the schemes of the enemy are real. And they're going to manifest themselves in different ways throughout our life. And we need to be ready for that. We need to understand that. And at the same time, Lord, we have to understand that we, we are citizens of this, of this earth and we have responsibilities therein. But God, we're citizens of heaven. And you've given us a future and a hope and a calling and a mission that supersedes so much of what's going on around us. And God, in the midst of the chaos and confusion, we can forget that. I can forget that. And so I pray tonight, Lord, that you would help us remember that. Remember who we are in you. Remember that we bear the image of the risen one, Jesus Christ, who uh, at such a great sacrifice redeemed us to you. Father, help us to live lives that are worthy of that reality and of that calling. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. <laughs>